You're listening to And hey, welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club, episode 41. My name is Mervyn Yue, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Just Ju. What up, Jess? Hello, everybody. Just Ju words, tired. <laughs> also joining us, professional culture editor Han Nguyen. What's up, Han? Hi. Second week of TCA. Woohoo! Today on Good Pop, we're talking all about the film Try Harder, uh, which is a PBS and CAM-funded documentary that premiered at Sundance. Um, it is Sundance while we're recording this, so Try Harder is a documentary about Lowell High School, a predominantly Asian-American high school in San Francisco, and follows a group of students as they uh, enter the tumultuous senior year ritual of college applications. Uh, but before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is beginning through the week. Jess, what's popping? So it's been a... Odd, like surprisingly stressful month I think overall like things have generally I think gotten better but work's been crazy so I have been unwinding with some Lisa Klupa's bodice rippers so if you're a Bridgerton fan this is like way hornier um, she's also I think she's a more interesting writer too because she has these historical angles so one book will deal with like the building like subtextually like the background or the setting is about like the building of railroads or like the shift from tenant farmers to like industrial technology or like modern medicine the development of modern medicine in like the victorian era but then like there's still a lot of horniness on top of that (laughs) i i will uh i second this because I like the good storytelling with the horniness, but I also like that she addresses things like class a lot <laughs> yes. that we don't get um, from, let's say, the Bridgerton novels. So, yes. yeah. And I do think her female heroines are a little more interesting. Like, they're not just all obsessed with, like, having kids, which was my weirdest hang up of all Bridgerton. Like, Bridgerton, very, very pro kids. They obviously want to start families and stuff, but some of them are like, you know what, if it doesn't happen, I've accepted that. Like I have other things going for me or like my family's like wonderful. And even her male heroine heroes are a little more interesting. They they also tend to be um, like varied and like they're all rich. Like that's the, that's the thing. You, you got to be rich. You can't like <laughs> when when in this society, when like your agency and like freedoms are tied to how much money you have, you got to be rich. Um, but, you know, the wealth comes from different way some of them are like self-made people a lot of most of her heroes are like self-made men and um or like they're they came into the title by accident like someone died un un, like surprisingly so it's a lot more like interesting it's a lot hornier they have a lot more premarital sex (laughs) um the sex scenes are written better and it's really just like it takes me like maybe three hours to read one of her books. So like it's just like watching a long movie and it's great. Have I told you that I haven't seen my boyfriend in like three months <laughs> and I don't know when the next time I will be able to see him. He's in Florida doing his residency. So this is what I got. It's great. Thank you, Lisa Cupas. You guys should read together. No, I would <clears throat> never. You know, some things are like. I have this belief that some things are like purely for you and like <laughs> you don't like I don't like and, and bringing anyone even if it's someone you love and trust completely adds a layer of like gaze or performance 
And I'm like, no, no, no. And it's like self-care, just you time. It is all about myself. Leave me alone. I'm not performing for nobody. Uh, Han, what's popping with you? Uh, well, I had actually read a lot of those novels already. Um, so I was taking a break while I'm waiting for the rest of them to come through on holds. Um, but uh, on, I do a lot of reading sometimes um, ahead of time before a show hits Netflix. And so the Shadow and Bone series, um, a YA fantasy series by Lee Bardugo is coming to Netflix in like a few months. I think it's April. Um, and so I'd been meaning to read it. So finally picked up the first trilogy and um, the series is actually based on that first trilogy plus a secondary duology that's like melded together. So I haven't read that secondary duology yet, but um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's interesting because first of all, I'd like my YA fantasy. Um, this is slightly different from the usual, like, you know, J.R. Tolkien inspired fantasy because it's a bit more inspired by Russian folktales. Um, and there are also like, well, they call it Ravka, but it's Russia. And then, you know, you can tell when they're meaning that there are other countries using names like Shuhan, which, you know, I assume means China um, or some sort of Asians. <laughs> um, Wasn't so, that a country in the th Romance of the Three Kingdoms? I mean, it's all of these, all of them. Like I get to the point where I kind of just forget what the names of these places are. Cause they're, you know what they mean. Like I was literally reading another book at the same time as this, that was also set in a kind of Europe. And I was getting all the fake names mixed up, <laughs> you know? Uh, what, what I really liked about this, because I wanted to read it before I looked at the casting. Cause I had heard there was casting already. And I remembered there was an Asian person cast. And so finally I read it. And then I looked at the casting today and lo and behold, the Asian person is actually cast as the lead. Um, There's so, like four Asians in the cast, uh, yes. Han. It's great. There are, yeah. And because I, at first I was like, is this an Asian book? And so that's why I read it. And I was like, it's not really. But I was like, this is really fantastic. So, um, so there are two leads. Alina and Mal are two orphans. They grew up together and the world is kind of divided because there's this like something called the unsee it's sort of a shadowy world where if you cross it then you get killed by these flying monsters so these two orphans grow up together they're a boy and a girl and they're best friends and they're in the first army which is the king's army so there's a monarchy and um there are actually magic users in the world and they make up the second army so as you may guess either Mal or Alina <laughs> somehow gets magic. Um, and then Jessica May Lee was cast as her. So I was really excited about that because there are no indications exactly of what Alina, you know, is supposed to look like in, in the book. I think they said some like stringy, maybe brown hair. I don't know. Um, they, they always said she was kind of skinny, not very good looking. Um, Jessica May Lee is. <laughs> good looking but of course she is uh, maybe has a skinnier face and they can always make her you know like tv ugly which is not yeah, ugly that's, at all that's the tv thing it's like the like let's put some glasses on you and you're ugly now <laughs> i mean when you think about like peter dinklage was supposed to be Tyrion lannister who was like supposed to be scarred and without half a nose and all this other stuff with 
Peter Dinklage is pretty hot. So um, yes, it is TV ugly, and um, which means that you know she's just maybe not like a ten. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's but a 9. so yeah, 5. right or right. nine point eight, whatever. Like or I don't know. Anyway, so I was very happy about that casting. But there's a lot more other casting, as Jess mentioned, where there are other Asians and other roles that I wasn't expecting, which I was very excited about because one one role in particular was supposed to be this gorgeous woman who's like really annoying. And I looked and it looks like she's being played with by a South Asian actress. So I'm very excited about that. Um, but yeah, so there's another book coming from the series in March. So it's kind of good timing. If you catch up, start reading by now, you'll be able to be caught up by the time that this series uh, hits Netflix. So anyway, that is what is popping with me. How about you, Marvin? Yeah. Um, just before recording here, um, they just dropped the season finale of season five of The Expanse. So now that we are done with the season, we have to wait a year plus for the next episode, which is excruciating because what this show does best is leave you on giant cliffhangers. And they left you with a giant one this season, too. Um, the good news is there are eight books um, that this series is based on. Um, season five was based on book five. And book nine of the series is coming out later this year, which is the conclusion. So I might just have to go and check out the rest of the books to um, get my fill. But the season's been great. For anyone who loves The Expanse, this season has been doing it for you. Um, anyone interested in jumping in, this is a good time because it's all available now on Amazon Prime. I think I've spoken a lot of praise for this show last time we talked about it. Um, it's one of the most diverse casts and teams in TV today. And this season was probably one of the best had a lot of really great character moments dramatic moments and like just cool space battles which is always what you want for a, a space show and i don't know i kind of dug the weekly release schedule um at first i was sad i couldn't binge it but being able to kind of take a week and just digest and treat it as you know a weekly tv show like we used to back in the day before streaming um meant that i can you know, watch other people's reactions to it, read think pieces on all the episodes, listen to podcast reactions, and really like digest every episode as we went along. And it really gave me something to look forward to every week, which now doesn't exist anymore. So I need to find other stuff to look forward to. I am very pro going back to the one episode per week model. Yeah, I've, I've definitely been saying that for a while as far as it's depending on the show. You know, I get it. There are certain shows that are more bingeable and it they kind of just, you, you know, they're kind of like what? The three hour novel that you're going to, Bodice Ripper, you're going to read. So that's fine if you just, you know, digest it really quickly. But if you really want to like appreciate a show and it's a good show, I love the weekly model because yeah, you do get to like appreciate it more. And I don't know, it's, you can look forward to things. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. In this like day and age of, really every day mushing into each other it's good to you know say oh it's tuesday it's time for this thing as opposed to oh it's saturday already what's a saturday i saw something on twitter <laughs> that was like that called like a one episode per week release the disney plus model and i'm just <laughs> like please just kill me with my old age cane walker shit What's funny is they could have even said HBO and that would have made more sense, you know? Um, but yeah, so I do have to say that might be one of the biggest reasons why I was I was looking forward to watching Mandalorian every week because it was on Fridays and it was light. 
Um, but at the same time, Mandalorian, I didn't feel like story-wise was as gripping to me um, as certain weekly shows. But yeah, it was a great, it was perfectly placed. It, you know, it arrived when we needed it. And so uh, I do have to say, Expanse is a show that every single season, once it ends, I'm like, okay, I have this much time to catch up on it now. And then I never do. <laughs> so, so far, I think I've gone through the first half of the, uh, the first season. And um, I, I enjoyed it. It took me a little while to get into it. But yeah, I just need to get into it. It starts a little slow. I was gripped from the first episode. But I think for most people, you need to give it four episodes because that's when it gets to the first like real big action yeah. scene. I think also that there were certain plots that I wasn't loving. But I know this is a huge ensemble cast. So I just have to wait <laughs> until I find someone I like. Yeah, everyone grows on you. Just It's amazing because half of the cast of Kim's Convenience has appeared on the show. <laughs> that's right. That's a good selling point. The mom was a captain of a ship. That's um, awesome. Simu Lu was a Marine in season three. And then the Indian dad that always talks with yes. Appa <laughs> appears in this season. So Kim's Convenience in space. Yeah. Well, Appa's off like flying X-Wings apparently, so... They're all I space. love that because what I usually do is like between like Doctor Who and and Downton Abbey and other British shows, I always say that there's like at least someone from Doctor Who or has been on Doctor Who or in Harry Potter. But now this is kind of like the more Canadian universe of actors. And yeah. now, yeah, I, I, I think this is, this might be the way to get me to watch. <laughs> my My favorite thing to do is to describe like a British tv show or movie project but with other characters they've played like if you do like a yes. love actually you're like snape is married to trelawney and their son you know it's really fun very small world yeah so that's what's popping for this week uh we're gonna take a quick break when we come back we're gonna try harder <laughs> stick around We're still here, and we're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, on today's episode, we're going to Virtual Sundance. Um, welcome to Virtual Park City, everyone, um, where Try Harder, a documentary by Debbie Lum, just premiered. Like we mentioned at the top of the show, Try Harder is a documentary following students from Lowell High School in San Francisco in the competitive world of college admissions. Um, funded by CAM and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, um, it is participating in this year's U.S. Documentary Feature Competition. And um, Jess, I don't know about you, but... I am so glad that oh, we're not applying oh for colleges God, in this God day and age. Thank God that was like 10 plus years ago. <laughs> I would not survive now. I feel like every, all the kids now are like smarter and like better, like more so involved and everyone's doing like a million cool things. And I'm just like, <laughs> okay. 
kids. <laughs> babies, babies, please be okay, man. I was root- really rooting for, for all the kids. I will say, like, I think this is true for you too, Jess. Um, as alumni of UC schools, I think all of us know at least like, so it's kind of like a six degrees of separation of like Kevin Bacon type of thing where you can't go to a UC without knowing at least one little kid, probably one Arcadia kid and like someone from Limbrook and someone from Troy. Oh yeah. Right? I mean, I went to Berkeley, Cal. So half my floor <laughs> was Limbrook and Lowell. A lot of close friends are from Lowell. So I have been definitely been like hitting up their Instagram DMs and be like, have you seen this? Um, like, was it like this? I like, what, like, what do you think of it? Um, you know, all, I feel all my Lowell friends are fairly like very, very lovely, smart, well-adjusted people. Uh, and again, we're a little bit further. I, I believe this movie takes place in the 2016, 2017 academic year. Which is wild. I wish they kind of touched on that because that was the fall that Trump became president. Remember? And I mean, I mean, a lot of stuff has happened. I, I understand like the limitations, right? She's I think I think Debbie made a really smart choice to kind of focus it in this one year and like just really, you know, like zero in on because it is so dependent on the, the, the schedule. Right. Um, and but it's, it is interesting because in the outside context, for those of you who don't follow San Francisco County School Unified News, Lowell has been kind of the center of this big conversation and discourse because they are switching to a lottery system. And um, prior to that, Lowell has been a, you had to test in and you had to have the grades and test in. They're switching now to a lottery system to try to make it more equitable, the admission process, and like a lot of ugliness coming out from, you know, the predominantly Asian American, you know, parents and community that send their kids to Lowell. Yeah, I mean, I think um, before we go any further, I think we need to set some context for, for people who don't have any personal connections to people who go to Lowell. Yeah, it is a public school. It is one of the highest ranking public schools in the country. You, it is, you know, capacity. They take students from all over the county, but you do, or the city or the county, but you do have to test into it. I think city, city probably. Yeah. And it's very competitive and it's a predominantly Asian American student body. 70% Asian. Yes. Um, right. And then it's just extremely competitive and academically. And there are other schools in California that have similar vibes that you mentioned before, like, um, you know, Limbrook is also a high performing mission, um, not not mission in San Francisco, but the mission in like San Jose. Yeah, mission there's just Jose, like yeah. these like well known, like infamous hard school public schools that are I would kind of I think we can safely say mostly from Asian American, if not like immigrant like second gen immigrant student populations. And you know, the ultimate goal is you want to get into for these kids in Lowell is they want to get into an Ivy League, very least like UC Berkeley, UCLA, which are like the only two accept, quote unquote acceptable UCs to go to for their goals. It was so like depressing to see like the UCs being treated, like UCLA, Berkeley being treated as like safety schools for oh, these my kids, safety right? Because those were like... <laughs> Those were oh, my, those are my schools. Schools. Okay, so Han, as a Texan watching this, are you like, what the fuck is wrong with these kids? Or like, what the fuck is wrong with this like whole system? Well, not, I didn't really find the kids all that different in that, you know, 
I was an honor student also, and there are a lot of overachievers. So there was a lot of overachievement and it was also a big school. So that's the other thing. It's like my graduating class was easily a thousand plus students. So um, it was competitive, but I don't think we were all across the board obsessed with college because uh, being in Texas, a lot of high school was football. Um, <laughs> I just remember that, like, despite, like, trying to, you know, achieve this type of stuff, like, everything was football. So, and I remember being in soccer and then people saying, we have a soccer team. So anyway. So I actually think that's a good <laughs> comparison. So Texas, fo- what football is to Texas, college admissions is, mm-hmm. is to a certain subset of, like, California high school. Right? Yeah, that would that would make a lot more sense because it does seem like when I watch this film that it was the whole school really in on it. And it felt weird that that was the identity. You yeah, know? no, you go there because look, so. So also, if you don't context, if you don't know in California, if you go to a public school and you rank within a top percentage, 10 percent yeah. of your class, your graduating class, you are guaranteed entry into a UC. Uh, which one that is, don't know. And then I think if you're top 20 or 25%, you're guaranteed entry into a Cal State. Um, also, don't, you know, there's no guarantee of which campus it is, but that's like written into our like California law. Mm. Um, but then there's always this weird tension because so you're, you are competing against your classmates in one sense. And then also you're like, you're also like competing against, like outside like non-California students or international students because they're letting you know they're letting more and more in to make up for the lack of funds and it's it's just I feel like it's just so hard to like stand out get in and um the holy grail in this documentary for these kids is Stanford right which is not even a Cal State everybody wants to go to Stanford that's like what everyone's reaching towards. And Stanford's admission is like 4.4%. It beat Harvard for the most uh, amount of applications. And like I think it's like the lowest acceptance rate in any college in the United States. So that's like the context of which, and those are like the stakes in which these kids are like trying to work with. Um, and I mean, the kids are great. Like, can we talk about the kids? And like, who who did yeah. you like? Who you did you, who, okay, like, you know, there's like a, you know, in Sex and City, are you Samantha, Charlotte, Moreno? Which kid are you? Were you like from Try Harder? There's Alvin, the the big hearted, kind of nerdy, unique science flower. There's Sophia, the badass overachiever who's like unfazable. There's Ian, the kind of chill, just happy to ch- be just there. happy to be there. He knows he's not the strongest academic performer, but like just trying. There's Shea. Is that how you pronounce his name? Shay. Shay, who Shea. is uh, who's the only white student that this documentary follows in depth, but he has probably the most difficult home life and the the lack of support system in his home life. And Rachel, who is biracial <laughs> and um, is very close, I think I think has, is being raised by her African American mother, um, and then kind of this like. And who like faces a lot of like casual racism. I'm like, come on, kids. I, I was hoping you would be better at this point in your life and generation. But those are, I think, am I missing anyone? Those are our five main kids. I think those are the main subjects that we follow. And even amongst them, I think the movie really focuses on 
Alvin, Rachel, and probably Shay, right? And Ian. Like Ian's the one that gives us the tour of the campus at the top of the movie. Um, those are the only four kids that we meet mm-hmm. their parents, which you know gives a more robust view of their what they're up against in terms of parental mm-hmm. expectations as well. Um, like Sophia was good to be there a as foil. Like, we all know Sophia, like who works part time, is captain of the tennis team, um, takes all the AP classes. And one thing that I was a little jealous of these kids is like my high school did not have a full slate of AP classes. Like I took what we could get, right? But I didn't know there was a physics C. <laughs> are you not still, that I would have taken it. Are you still it, lamenting <laughs> this like 10 years past, Marvin? It's, I think you're fine. I think you, you're fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, but who did you um, relate but, to and why? I think the person I'm most related to was probably Ian uh, because I wasn't the most competitive kid. I mean, my high school, we had maybe like a 25% like four-year college entrance rate. Maybe like 60% of us actually went to even the JC um, afterwards. So, you know, we weren't super competitive with each other. And, you know, I was always the kid who did good enough. I did good enough to still be one of the smart kids, but I didn't overachieve relatively. I still kind of, I was in band, drama, FBLA, Interact. I was officer of multiple clubs. So like I did, I did the things, but I wasn't <laughs> actually, now that I think back, I probably did overachieve <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, maybe I'm not Ian per se, but I think his story was the most compelling because he was also one of the only ones there who was like probably third or fourth generation Chinese American, which I thought was a really interesting juxtaposition to Alvin, who is second generation child of like she didn't seem tiger momish but she was totally a tiger uh, yes yeah, she right? was tiger mom are you kidding me yes i mean she was <laughs> nice about it that was just the different you know story i think that hurt that's what made it hurt more was she was like so confident she was making the best decision for her yeah. son a little time, overbearing like, like, smiling a little too helicoptery right and you know alvin <laughs> is like too nice to go against his parents too much filial duty to go against his parents he's the only child right only son or like he's the only child um but like alvin i was definitely like an alvin mixed with a sophia weird combo um (laughs) but like definitely kind of weird so i did a lot of drama i i did fairly well in high school I did pretty well, but I also could not be like the like I was not gonna be like top ten Victoria because I chose to take like classes like drama and class which which is like which would interfere with like the econ eight with the one econ AP they offered. So like I very deliberately chose to do something different. But here's the trick, guys. I got into most of the schools I applied to because I was like this weird kid from California applying to be like an actor and I like did pretty well in my acceptance rates. So maybe they all should have just tried to be actors. Yeah. I, I think that might have been the reason why I kind of appreciated um Alvin and Rachel um, because not their parents, because my mom was not at all involved with my college admissions or even schooling. She just kind of expected me to get good grades. And, and there was also no talk of, um, you know, giving money for college. So we knew kind of that we had to either pay for it ourselves, figure out financial aid, get a full ride scholarship. But um, what I did like about both of them was that they were pretty much um, good at all things. 
<laughs> you know? And so you get someone like Alvin who says, oh, I want to be a brain surgeon. But then also he like dances and he thinks about going to Brown because they have a good like liberal arts, you know, an arts program. So it's like, you can definitely tell that he's, he's sort of well-rounded. He's very funny. Like his mom's a tiger mom, but he, he gives back, you know, <laughs> he gives us back as much as that she uh, dishes out. So um, like when they're arguing about you know, hey, it's, you're the rooster, so you need to eat the chicken. And he's like, no, I'm, <laughs> that's why I'm eating it. But we're like, I'm eating it anyway, but not, not because of that, <laughs> you know? Um, and then Rachel also, she, uh, she works on the school newspaper, which I, um, I actually got over school newspapers once I got out of middle school, because I ended up finding out that, you know, you don't get to write anything interesting. Um, and probably in Texas, I definitely wouldn't have been able to. Maybe here and now she can. So, um, but at the same time, I definitely knew that, like, I, I did well in, like, language and stuff like that. So I liked the fact that it wasn't just um, the nerds as far as the science guys and the Jonathan Chews and all that type of stuff. Oh, <laughs> Jonathan Chew. Let's talk about Jonathan. I love that he, yeah, I love that he's not even featured much, but everyone talks about him and you see him a little bit. <laughs> he's this like looming presence of like the ideal. So Jonathan choose Lowell, that class, that year's valedictorian. He's like just a background character. But the my one of my favorite parts of the film is that montage in the very beginning where they set Jonathan Chu up as the like ideal, like the, the, the ideal to strive for. But they literally all talk about him like he's Regina George. Like she interviews a bunch of the other <laughs> students and they're all talking to him like, oh my God, did you hear that? Like John and she like, you know, Jonathan Chu's like one of the best violin players that have ever come through LOL. Like, oh my God, Jonathan Chu one time, he got a zero on his bio test just to prove he could get a zero and still get an A. Um, and they just talk about him like he's this like God and he just seems like a very chill, nice dude. Yeah, he he wasn't too, or at least what they showed of him wasn't like stuck up. He he seemed to be just nice and kind of like took things with grace when people would congratulate him. He was, you know, he didn't like preen. So he seemed like a cool guy. Yeah, I think it was pretty awesome that, you know, even peripherally, this documentary featured him because when you think about like the high achieving valedictorian of like a class like this, and you think like you have a certain image in your head and he's not that. He's just a chill dude that happens to be a super genius at everything. Very good. So I've been reading reviews and reactions to this film because it, it did just premiere at Sundance. So people are tweeting about it. And I see a lot of differing ranges of reactions to it. I think the closer you are to like this being your reality, the more stressful this movie is. Right. Because, I mean, the documentary itself is not very... Um, it's kind of light, right? It's kind of yeah. light. And it's light touch in a lot of ways, yeah. which I don't think is a bad choice just because I think mm -hmm. she's just letting the kids and the subjects speak for her themselves. But I don't, I do wonder if it's like obvious what the critique is explicitly because we don't get a little bit more like of an editorial voice, right? Yeah. So I guess that's my next question for us on this podcast is try harder good pop like how's it stack up as a piece of pop culture because i think personally i related to this film because i knew kids like the kids that were being featured as a chinese american um i'm familiar with the high strung world of getting into college for your parents right but at the same time there were a couple of things that i wish the documentary addressed more explicitly in particular the uh issue of 
class. Because I think one of the only examples of, you know, the effects of class in this um, situation is the story of Shay. He is someone who comes from like, would you say like a broken home? You know, his father is kind of a buck up, but he doesn't want to live with his mom because then he can't attend Lowell. Mm-hmm. And he wants to attend Lowell because this is where he'll be challenged. And where he has found people who believe and have the same values and, and believe in, you know, the the name of this film of trying hard right of caring and trying hard to do your best and yeah he wants to be here enough where he you know faces like housing insecurity and and yeah. like kind of finding things out with little support from his parents yeah and it's interesting because he is probably the one student that isn't from a middle class east asian background i mean there is a variation ian talks about how his family has no money to send him to college so he knows he has to figure that out so that's he i think he takes he's taking that into consideration but yes it is a very specific experience right it's it's predominantly east asian middle class suburban i mean even though it's in san francisco that's not technically a suburb but like suburban s like experience um i think it captures that very well and i don't think it should be like a like i don't think it needs to speak to anything beyond that even though i think because you know general like less representation it will always kind of start veering into those lanes but i I think you know it's one very specific school five specific students their main their stories their particular stories in this one particular year that highlights just systematic ed- issues about our education system and the basically the poor kids who are like the body father fodder you know like the train fodder right like like i i really feel for them like oh, what are they supposed to do they're kids this is what they've been taught for years to achieve to to work towards like I didn't know better at that time. We can all talk about, you know, how how certain things didn't matter when we're on the other side of it. But we also all went to college, you know? Yeah, I think what's interesting is they all have bought into the myth that if you try hard, you'll succeed and get into the schools that you want. And... I mean, on the other side, and as like adults looking back at the system, like because it is a system, the admissions process is a system that has inherent, like institutionalized, you know, biases. Any one of these kids would have been t- like top five percent, top three percent of any other public high school in California. I feel like, and would have had a higher chance of going to their dream school if they didn't go to Lowell. Well, there's a right? running theme that the kids are at a disadvantage because Asians and Asian students are seen as like robotic formulaic people with no individuality. And I think, I mean, I don't have the research in front of me, but I think there has been like statistical reports reports that prove that if, um, you know, Asians for how they like statistically perform as a demographic group are underrepresented in certain schools. But then at the same time, we have to kind of dissect why we have these privileges that allow us to succeed while also dissecting model minority myth. And then also contending with how we (laughs) are, it's like so many layers, uh, how we are, you know, inflicting 
racial violence, racism against, you know, black and brown folks, right? Which is all like sprinkled in this movie, but again, not like deeply dived into. Yeah, I feel that the are some of our frustrations maybe with not going quite deep enough is it is a movie and so it has a limited runtime. I could have definitely seen this as a series and um, been able to get a lot more of those storylines, but also maybe more nuances as far as what the topics are instead of just kind of like glossing over what we hear in one scene. So like, but the deal is of course, college admissions, like people are trying harder, but college admissions is also harder. Like they're not accepting, you know, more people. And they're accepting even less sometimes. Um, And I believe they, I don't know if they gave a stat, but they did specifically say that Stanford in particular does not like Lowell students (laughs) (laughs) because of that stereotype. Um, But uh, what I think is interesting though, is that so many times in the film, because of this atmosphere, this school that is built to be for college admissions, the next step is they have so many teachers and so many like bulletin boards with like messages telling them to think the opposite of what they feel, which is you don't have to go into the Ivy League. You can try like this. I think one uh, bulletin board called it a $200,000. Um, what's it called? Brand uh, name. Brand name. Yeah. Or like logo. Do you want to pay for a $200,000 yeah. logo? Like bragging rights. And then also like there are teachers saying like, hey, these schools are just as good, but you're not considering them. And then other teachers are just like, um, why are you going to have a harder time? Because is it possibly you're Asian? And they even bring that up. It's a slideshow. So it's just like, like as much (laughs) as the school is geared towards it, they're also trying to push against the whole college admissions, like, scam like it, it yeah. truly is like it's such a hard time out there right now so yeah I don't I don't see how any of these kids are actually doing it I would just you know just be in the top whatever percent and get into my state school uh, <laughs> but something that this documentary captures really really well is just the crushing self-esteem pressure cooker that is being a really smart kid but because you're amongst all these other super smart kids you are average while still being a super smart kid and that must be crushing. And you really feel for the teachers who probably have seen kids have a hard time every single year when the admissions rolls around, right? I don't think I could take it as a teacher. Like, the teachers that they feature also are super nice. Um, they, oh, my God, the physics teacher. Right. Oh, my God, he's so sweet. So he's probably the most featured teacher. And when I looked at the credits of, like, the main cast, it was like those five students and then the teacher, I think. So I thought that was really nice, but um, yeah. And so it was really cool to see at least that there are these adults that are supporting them and understanding them. Um, I don't know how all the rest of teachers are, but it just felt like a more, like a warmer environment that I would have, than I would have had expected, you know, for the reputation that the school has. I do wonder how they even got some of this footage. Like did, they asked the students. There's a lot of like in high school, like active classroom footage. And I'm like, Lowell was okay with this. I'm, I went to a pretty like conservative high school, conservative in like the way they operated. And like they would have never allowed, you know, filming to happen and like let cameras behind the scenes like this. And, and I think kids, 
the kids, I call them kids. They're really just, you know, they're like young adults, but kids in my eyes, kids. babies. <laughs> I think the babies also just like, they're just so like open because I don't think they just don't know like, like any better. They haven't been like burned yeah. maybe yet by like something going, it's- taking, being taken out of context or like they're not, they're, they're less guarded than I think the adults would be. And I do wonder because they do talking head interviews for a lot of students, but they only feature certain ones. And I imagine it's because those are the ones that gave them permission to follow them around. Well, you have like and do interviews and have their you parents have like, like just hallway shots. And I'm like, some I'm sure some of those kids are minors. Like you had to clear it with every single one. So shouts to the production legal team for like getting all this cleared and ready <laughs> for Sundance. Um, you know, respect to that juggling, juggling all that. I mean, I would love to think that maybe Lowell agreed to this and got all the permissions because they want to almost like help their students and show like how crazy, like, you know, uh, turn the mirror on them and be like, you know, this is, it doesn't have to be this crazy. And maybe even to like show, like without revealing like any of the results, but like show the different ways that people end up um, despite or because of the actions they've taken and the decisions they've made. this is also where, you know, I wish it was a longer film or at least a second film or whatever, where we got a where are they now? Because a lot of the, the kids, uh, some of them who got accepted to certain colleges, you know, they get the letter that says it will be the class of 2021. So I'm just like, <gasps> yeah, they, be, they, right. they be graduating this year, this year like, if they are on track with the four year schedule. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I mean, if. <laughs> I mean, they might have already graduated last year. Who knows? But <laughs> knowing them. I mean, I feel like you can't do that now without turning this into a COVID movie, mm-hmm. right? Um, but going back to the question of whether this is, you know, mm-hmm. good pop, is this a film that you would, like, who would you recommend this film to, right? I've recommended to all my classmates, my friends from high school who, uh, you know, we went through this journey together just because it is very, it's like a version of what we went through on steroids, um, but it is such a uniquely like California public school overachieving college dreams demographic story. And um, especially if you are from a predominantly Asian American suburban community, like I think this rings extremely true. I kind of want to make my parents watch it. Uh, <laughs> my parents were relatively chill, but implicitly still understood the expectation mm-hmm. that was put on me. So maybe more like Sophia's parents who, you know, Sophia seems pretty like independent, but she's, you know, that drive doesn't drive like that doesn't come from like nowhere. It's like, it's kind of IV dripped into you over time from your family life. Right. So I'm going to find a time to try and make my parents watch this. And uh, I recommend it to all my friends. I don't know if it hits as hard outside of that community though. I would have liked to see high school students watch it especially those maybe maybe in their junior year how about <laughs> like, uh, no i feel like that's just gonna stress them out that's like letting yeah, them i feel like if i was a high school student watching this film i would be like i need like i can't I compete with any of these harder. kids <laughs> well maybe or they might just be like oh wait um maybe i don't know you know how some people say like if you look at the universe and you see how many stars you are and you feel very small for some people it makes them feel insignificant but other people it's comforting um, so kind of like that, where I feel like knowing that other people are going through their, your same stress, maybe you'll, you'll think more about the bigger picture and not just the one little thing, which is Ivy League. I do have to say, 
I did think this movie would be a lot more stressful than it was. Um, the guy who I basically sent, quote unquote, to Sundance, you know, I, I picked the films that he would review and, you know, I picked this one and he's an older white dude, but he was just like, he emailed me as soon as he watched it and was just, he was like, this is a horror film. You need to watch it. And he kept saying that to me. It's a horror film. It's a horror film. And this guy like tires me out through email. And so he said that he thought he was an overachiever and then like these guys. And so when I watched it, I was like, oh, that just seems kind of normal. I, I understand there are like great, you know, the way our school system and the funding is set up, you know, richer, richer neighborhoods tend to have better schools. And I understand, you know, a lot of that's predominantly white neighborhoods and all that. So I don't doubt there are like white students who are overachievers and are, you know, smart students. But I was like, but when there's like the pressure of your ancestors like yeah. lying on you and when your parents can pull the I moved to another country with five dollars in my pocket like lording over you whether or not they say it you feel yeah. it like there's a whole nother yeah. level of pressure there, there's definitely I can yeah. see why too like to people who aren't specifically like East Asian high achievers this would seem like a horror movie because yeah compared to other cultures I think this is kind of extreme it's just yeah. so funny because until it was presented to me as this like extreme case i was just like it was my it was the water you know this is like the water in which <laughs> i was swimming in for all of my life so i didn't find it particularly different i don't think any of my friends would have per- found it particularly different or interesting i think the kids in the talk back were like why you guys care like my life's not interesting yeah <laughs> like, i definitely was interesting yeah i definitely felt like it I expected more drama. I, I expected more tears, which which sounds like I'm like a sadist. But yeah, I, I really thought it was going to be just like this panorama of like kids having nervous breakdowns. And, and this is not to diminish the actual stress they were under, but it was just for me, what I was shown was very doable. And I'm the person who, if a show gets too awkward or too whatever, I pause because I can't deal with it. And then like I scream and run around and like maybe get a drink. So yeah. for me to like just watch this straight through, I was like, this seems normal. I the mean, kids are pretty resilient. The ones she chose to follow in depth, like think I think they just turned out to be fairly resilient people. It's probably also yeah. self-selecting, right? The ones who are going to be super stressed out are probably not going to want to talk to a documentary filmmaker. And let them so, follow her them around for a year. Yeah. I mean, they're too busy padding their college applications to worry about being in a documentary. Yeah, like maybe they couldn't get Jonathan Chu. I wish them all the best, though. I was texting my friends and I was just like, wherever these kids are ending up, I hope they are all having a good time, like chilling, going to wild parties, you know, pre-COVID and having lots of like fun, consensual sexual experiences in college. Also, um, they, <laughs> they seem like really good people. So I, I hope they like rule the world. So, <laughs> yeah. Because this was funded by CPB, um, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, I'm assuming this will eventually air on some PBS, um, like Frontline or something. Um, so stay on the lookout. I think that's the cool thing about being funded by PBS is isn't it just like guaranteed distribution? I'm not sure yeah, how this works. So I mean, I can't. a lot of the ones that I see at festivals end up on like independent lens or something like that. So I think that is the case. That and this also feels very much like a public broadcasting uh, <laughs> type of yeah. doc. So for those of you following Asian American media, there's probably going to be a big event once this um, documentary does premiere for the public. So if you didn't catch a Sundance, catch it either on PBS or I'm sure it's going to make the Asian film festival circuit too. Yeah. So keep an eye out. I think I'm with Jess where I would 
definitely recommend this to all my friends who went through this gauntlet together with me. It brought back like memories of high school. At the same time, I'm just so relieved that I don't have to go through that ever again. Maybe for all your friends or peers who like now have kids who aren't quite in the high school phase yet, maybe like have them watch this to remind themselves now as the parents in the situation, it's not the end all be all, you know, calm down, support your kid. They'll probably be fine. Yeah, I agree. I think all parents, either the ones who already went through this or or who will go through this, I think is a good sort of perspective on what your kid's going through and how much they also do want to please you. Like there's a crazy scene where I'm not going to give it away, but one of the students that's featured makes it into two colleges, wants to go to this particular one, but the mom wants them to go to the other. And they're actually considering it to please mom. And I'm just like, go to the one you want. This is your future. And also they were both great schools. So, Oh yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was a very good eye opening moment. And I really wonder if the mom had seen that, if she would have reconsidered, (laughs) you know, maybe my dad pulled it on me and he doesn't remember. (laughs) Of course they don't. Asian parents are like gold medalists in gaslighting, Marvin. (laughs) Oh, my God. Within the same sentence, my mom will deny something that she just said. So, yeah, Um, I I, I do think I think if you look at like tryharderfilm.com, by the way, I I think you can stay on top of any time it's going to be screened at some sort of festival. So, yeah, check it out. Um, And with that, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Jess Han, thank you for joining me here in Virtual Park City. If people want to find out more of your thoughts on social media, where can they go? I'm at JessJewTweets on Twitter. And I am at Hanonymous. I am at Marvin Yuet. You can follow the show at Good Pop Club and check out our past episodes at GoodPop.club. Huge thanks to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-hosted podcasts that we are a proud member of. Check out our fellow Potluck shows by going to the website PodcastPotluck.com. Um, we'll be back next week to talk about WandaVision. But until then, uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Hey, Brian. Did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada's a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 